This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Richard Lane is the co-founder and chief commercial officer at Durham Lane, a leading revenue generation company. He has over 25 years of commercial sales experience delivering progressive business development solutions to businesses of all sizes, from SMEs to blue chip clients throughout the UK and Europe. Richard Lane, welcome to ClientSide. Thank you, Nathan. Great to be here. So first question or statement, defend the indefensible. (laughs) There is no misalignment between sales and marketing. Discuss. So defend the indefensible there. You know, I believe that everybody in sales and marketing is doing their best and they are doing what is being asked of them and what is being tasked of them. The challenge comes whether those two worlds align and link up correctly. So I don't think there's a misalignment because people are driving towards different objectives. But I'm my question is, is the connection made? And if that connection isn't made, then how do we make that connection better? So. Explain how the connection should be made. Maybe walk us through or describe how most large B2B businesses run their demand generation programs at the moment and what's wrong with the way that that's done currently. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I find it a fascinating place, Nathan. I'm, I'm making it my mission to, uh, to be the middleware that connects these two worlds together. So as I said, I think everyone is is driving with the same ambition towards the same event, which is revenue creation. Um, What I think is happening, though, is that marketeers are tasked and targeted to create interest and to create meaningful connection with potential customers, you know, hopefully the right people in the right sorts of companies, ideally at the right time. Where the disconnect comes, though, is that sales professionals are tasked with converting revenue uh, and bringing prospects and, and turning them into customers. And marketing stop before sales get started. And that's really where I've, I've come up with about five or six different metaphors for this over the last week or so, Nathan. So <laughs> let's hear them. Oh, uh, here's one, right? Imagine that you're in a relay and they've marked the lanes out incorrectly. So when you're running towards me at the end of the second hundred meter sprint and I'm turning and I'm ready to pick up the baton off you, our hands don't connect. Mm, okay, that's a good one. I'm standing in the right place, you're handing over in the right place but the lines are wrong. So there's one. Another one, marketing, take the sales opportunity to the second rung of the ladder. I'm in sales and I'm standing on the 10th rung of the ladder and I lean down and and my hands aren't long enough. And I'm I'm, I'm glasping at thin air. Yeah, so there's the second one. Now, now actually, what might be happening is... Do they continue like this? Do the other three continue like this with with the gap metaphor? I'm not going to give you them. I'm not going to give you all of them. (laughs) But what I was going to say is what happens on on some of the times is that actually we do connect and we do meet or I do stretch down and I do catch, catch hold of it. But that's the rare occasion. And that means that we've got the challenge, which is that very occasionally it works and converts to revenue, but more often than not, it doesn't, which is why we find when we start working with our enterprise customers that they have thousands of flickers of interest, glimmers of interest and light sitting in their CRM in what we call zombie leads, because there was interest, maybe interest enough to download a white paper or to fill out a form. Um, marketing has done its piece of the jigsaw correctly. Sales haven't had the bandwidth or haven't had the professional persistence or the time to be 
um, persistent and persevere to take that connection, build rapport, discover, nurture, and get it so that it's sales ready. So what does a salesperson need then to do their job properly? What are the tools, tactics, behaviors? And more importantly, how can marketing enable sales to, with the toolkit to be able to do their job most effectively? So I think qualification is key. So, you know, a lot of people have heard of, of BANT qualification, um, budget, authority, need, timescales. We, we have our own tool called the Magic 35 Qualification Framework, which is seven criteria that we, we discover about when we're creating opportunities for customers. So sales need insights and they need uh, readiness. They need a to be speaking to the, the right person in an organization, or they need to understand the plan and the direction of travel. They also need to remember that prospecting is a key part of the world of sales. And, you know, I think what happens, certainly what, what I've noticed through my career is that people maybe start off in a outbound sales role and as quickly as possible, yeah. move into an account management role and, and right. all of those skills get forgotten. I've always I've always tried to, to maintain it myself. I've always tried to remind people that you should be doing a little prospecting often, often, often. And, yeah. you know, little and often means that you don't lose the skill and the capability, but also you've got to keep that wheel of business development moving. Yeah, you build a pipeline with it little and often, don't you? That's really interesting. So talk about then, I mean, you mentioned prospecting. How has prospecting changed in the last two and a half years? We've been in lockdown, many different lockdowns, you know, historically, salespeople would love to use the phone to call in office uh, offices. People aren't in their offices so much anymore. They're working from home. They're working remotely. They're doing a lot of sales calls on Zoom and Slack. Talk a little bit about how sales has changed and prospecting has changed over the last two years. Yeah, really interestingly, you know, our, our business is is predominantly a, a proactive outbound organization we found actually our connections stats went up at the beginning of the first lockdown i think people were sitting at home thinking you know i'm not traveling i've got all of this time and and probably a bit of fear and they were answering every call um that changed as we went through um we've had a hugely disruptive time over the last two years um positively disruptive for many in business i do think the pandemic has just accelerated change that was already happening. So a big shift from field sales to inside sales. Um, you can now, at the click of a button, be speaking to people from all over the world in a discovery call using Zoom or Teams or, or whatever um, video conferencing tool you use. That was always available to us previously, but we didn't use it as much as we do now. Um, I think the the value of face-to-face -face will, will have changed because... You know, people just aren't sitting around waiting for meetings anymore. If you go and see someone in person, it will be a meaningful discussion. You don't just rock up and say, hey, I'm I'm in town. Can I come yeah, and see you? I've got like, well, some time. Yeah, I'm not in town. Right. What, what are you doing there? You know, right. so, so actually, I think that's changed as well, um, probably for the better. I think about lots of my trips up and down the north northeast line to London, probably 50% of them I didn't need to do and, and I won't do in the future. Speculative. Yeah, so face-to-face, um, -face I still think, has got a really huge place to play. And I think you know, the value of human-to-human -human connection is, is still very much there. But back to your question, prospecting um, has to be omnichannel. And this is the interesting thing around you know, my, my crusade for 
um, connecting the worlds of marketing and sales because it's even more important now that you're digitally um, available to your customers. You need to be piquing interest with relevant content. You need to be um, you sitting in, and going fishing in the in the digital places where your customers are spending their time. You know, having five conferences booked in your diary across a year just isn't going to cut it anymore. Hmm. So it's it's omni-channel. It's using every tool at your disposal to connect in a meaningful way uh, with people that you would like to be your customers. So email, social, uh, texts, I would imagine. WhatsApp, phone call, emails, LinkedIn. All of that. Yeah. Really interesting. So then how does marketing automation play into this? I mean, HubSpot for a very long time, I would say, five or six years ago, it was all the rage because everyone said, all you need is HubSpot or you need Marketo or you need Eloqua and they will nurture the leads for you. And then magically out the other end will pop a sales ready <laughs> lead and all you have to do is talk to them and, and convert them. Where, yeah. where, where do we sit with marketing automation today? Yeah, so we call ourselves a tech-enabled sales business, but but I I think the human-to-human factor is key. Is automation important? Yes, it is at the the very top of the sales funnel, but I think personalization is key. I I don't think that's changed really. We we talk about being relevant, being concise, being topical, and being action orientated. Um, I think you lose elements of that with automation. However, you're able to reach a broader base, and um, you know it's about remaining top of the inbox as well. But I think HubSpot's view is is still valid, which is if you serve up relevant content to the people you want to be your customers, then you're going to build brand recognition with them. Um, so that at the right point, when the need is compelling enough for them, they'll remember your name. And um, you know, so there's very much a place for it. Lead scoring, there's a place for it. But I, but I do think that what we have got to get our heads around and, and what we've been preaching for the last 11 years is around qualification um you know automation will take you so far but then you need to get under the skin um and start really qualifying the need the compelling event the budget the time scales the decision maker portfolio the mapping etc um what you're up against you know all of that needs to be delivered to a business development manager or account exec so that they can then take it to the, the next level and and make sure that we have a solution that fits what have you learned over the years about what it takes to be a, a great salesperson? I will say it was the best trip up that ever happened to me, Nathan. So, um, you know, I was I was going to be a rock star. That was the plan. Um, <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, I, I got a job in sales. No one ever suggested to me that sales would be a great career for me. And that's something I'm really passionate about. I think it is changing, but still not fast enough. If I think of my kids, no one recommends the the you know a business or commercial world to them through the entire school process it's crazy when so much of our economy is, is based on that yeah and business is sort of still doesn't necessarily get seen in in a very positive way by a lot of people you know it's been a brilliant career for me i think why you know what do you need well emotional intelligence is becoming more and more important you need to be able to build rapport um Durham Lane's first mantra is business fit business value um I've all sort of always followed that. So I want to be talking to people where I believe that we can help them because I've understood something about their world. I, I need to know we're going to add more value than they're going to spend with us. Otherwise, if it were me, why would you bother? Um, and I'm interested in long-term relationships. It's, you know, just such an amazing job to have where you just spend time getting to know people and, and helping them to be successful um, through the provision of your services, products and, and support. So 
that emotional intelligence is really key. Um, I think more, more and more we're, we, we have to be storytellers. So, you know, we've helped people like you. This is the challenge they had. You know, people want, they want the paint, the picture to be painted for them. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that storytelling is not new, right? But I think it's becoming more and more powerful, particularly in this, this sort of automated world that we live in. Um, again, it's about getting that balance between automation and then the human interaction of telling the right stories at the right time to the right people and taking them on a journey with you until they become a customer. You've got your own methodology called selling at a high level. Explain how that works. Yeah, so selling at a high level really came out when I left corporate corporate land many years ago. Um, I set up a consultancy where I was just trying to raise the bar of the sales profession, really get people to think differently about the world of sales. Um, started working with with SME organizations, which frankly, you know, typically a, a salesperson was hired because they rocked up to an interview and there was something about them. That was as, as uh, you know, this is a decade plus ago, but that was sort of felt like that was as far as it got. There was no training for salespeople in SME land. Um, and so I set up a business around that and I, and I just tried to help people to put some structure and process behind um, how they help people to buy from them. And that's really where selling at a high level came from. I do remember having um, created it and, you know, I had a handful of clients where I, I was um, implementing it and we were having great success. I do remember picking up a copy of Challenger Sale thinking, oh my God, this is, uh, you know, this is the hot thing. Um, I hope I'm aligned. And I got to the end and thought, great news, I am. So selling at a high level is, you know, it's sort of based around consultative sales, question-based, being interested to be interesting right? and really just helping, just helping people. And we've proven this now with hundreds of people, just proven that just by taking things really simply and doing, doing the obvious, but doing it well, um, allows you to be very successful. So sounds really interesting. Sounds fascinating. I, I, I can clearly see that you've, you've understood the way that salespeople should sell really well. What do you say to your prospects who say to you, that's all well and good, Richard, but we've got a really complex business and your methodology, your model doesn't really fit with ours because we've got really long sales cycles, we've got higher average order values, and it's just a very technical sell. Um, how, how do you respond to a prospect? Yeah, the, the common question, look, our business is really technical. There's no way your guys and girls are going to be able to sell our product services. Uh, I mean, the great, I love, I love that question, Nathan, <laughs> because I always say, you know, we don't need to be experts in your business, but we need to be experts in why somebody should be interested. And that's the bottom line, right? So when you're, when you're inquisitive, when you're interested in other organizations, as long as they're the right type of customer, you've got your, your profiling right, um, the right ICP and, and the right persona within that, then we're, you don't need to be an expert in the widget or you don't need to be an expert in the, the SaaS product or the tool. You need to know something about it and you need the stories, as I mentioned earlier. But by asking questions, you can have and provide someone with a consultative workout without really needing to have a huge amount of knowledge at all. That doesn't mean to say we can take that flicker of interest and, and nurture it and, and take it through to a closed million pound deal, for example. But what we can do and, and what we've proven many, many times is that we can create the flicker of interest, nurture that into a conversation, 
take that conversation through discovery and then serve it up to a BDM or a can exec with a, with a sales ready opportunity for them to then propose to and close out and and turn into revenue. And, you know, the more complex, the better, frankly. Last couple of questions before we let you go. Really, it's a couple of questions about the future of sales and kind of where you see the profession going, because for a long time now, people have talked about people self-educating themselves online, which has been happening and and is happening. Um, You know, the, the buyer journey is far more fragmented to now than it has ever been. AI, and if you believe what, what all the Silicon Valley AI companies are telling you, that there will be robots in the future that will replace salespeople, that will be intelligent enough to, to be able to do that. Will there always be a need for a, a human salesperson, or do you see at, at some point in the future a salesperson being irrelevant? Yeah, I haven't got my crystal ball with me today, but but I think you know, uh, you know, interestingly, how many times have you spoken to anyone from Amazon? None. And you know, so we're already we're already there. However, you know, I said before, uh, the more complex, the better. Um, I think business to business behavior typically follows business to consumer, and it's number number of years behind. I think voice is a really interesting development. So. If you think of the work that, that we do here at Durham Lane, it's typically very top end of the sales funnel. How much of that could be automated using AI and and um, and you know artificial voice? Probably probably quite a bit of it. Um, do I think that people are still needed for the foreseeable? Yes, because I think that human to human connection is something that we crave. I think automation takes you to a point, but I, I do think the human to human piece is is what makes us you know, different and makes us want to, um, you know, want to try different things and new things and build our business. But like, like I say, I've never met an Amazon salesperson. Um, so, uh, you know, automation is, is, uh, is moving in fast. And, and finally, what have been the most influential either books or salespeople that you followed in your career that have most influenced you? Yeah, so a guy called Brian Tracy, I used to love um, some of his words of wisdom have stuck with me. Um, a, a book that really changed my life uh, was a book called Beyond Selling Value, um, which was really about consultative selling. Um, um, that's an amazing, amazing book. Challenger is is excellent. You know, I, I'm really, you know, anything which is about putting the customer first, putting your feet in the shoes of the customer, I'm, I'm sort of totally with, I think. You know, I mentioned best trip up that ever happened to me. Well, why does it work for some and not for for others? Well, I think mm-hmm. for me personally, um, it was that I just naturally am a sort of person that thinks, "What's that other person trying to achieve?" Rather than, "What do I want?" You know, that's that comes second for me. It just always has done. If I think about me as a little kid, you know, I've got examples where I've just always put my feet in the shoes of the other person. I guess you call that emotional intelligence. Um, and that's some of the the key learning. So anything like that, I'm, I tend to get drawn to. It may have even been Brian Tracy who said, "You can have anything you want in the world as long as you can help other people get what they want." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that Brian Tracy or was that I don't know who I'm thinking I'm not, about. I'm not sure actually, but it does sound like one of uh, I call him the, AKA the Silver Fox. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Final question before we let you go: Do you do you regret not having the rock star lifestyle now? 
<laughs> no, I don't actually. Do you know? I would have been terrible. It would have been awful for me. So, I've um, it was a it was a lucky escape. I think to be honest, um, I think I I'm a real home bird. So I'm not the you know if if I'd been out on tour for 14 months, um, living the high life, I think it would have uh, it wouldn't have lasted that long to be honest. <laughs> so, so I think I've probably uh, I've probably made more money um, doing what I do than I would have done being a musician, and I've uh, um. Yeah, I've, I'm I'm lucky enough to be able to uh, play guitar and enjoy it, but I'm uh, also very happy doing what I do. You made the right choice. <laughs> Richard, thank you for being on the show. Lovely to be here, Nathan. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, then please email clientside at fox.agency. The people that make this show possible are Zoe Woodward, our executive producer. Hannah Teasdale is our podcast executive. Jennifer Brennan is our digital strategist, supported by Sophia Ravanis and Alice Winterburn, our social and digital experts. I'm Nathan Alibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.